0: Download the
1: Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply.
2: Welcome to KCBS In Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In Depth. We've been hearing about it for months now. The worst measles outbreak the U.S. has seen in decades has now spread to more than 800 people in two dozen states. And Bay Area residents got a fresh scare about a week ago, with reports of possible measles exposures at a popular Berkeley supermarket, an incident that has especially stoked anxiety for those unable to get vaccinated.
1: They have a newborn who has not been vaccinated yet, so that would be really bad for us. That makes me kind of rethink my more chill attitude towards taking my baby around.
2: I'm Keith Menconi. This is In Depth, and today on the program, we're talking measles, what the risks are, why the danger is growing, and what can be done to stop it. To help us figure this all out, we're joined on the program by a return guest, Dr. George Hahn, who is a Deputy Health Officer with the County of Santa Clara's Public Health Department. Uh, Dr. Hahn, thanks for being back on In Depth. Good to be back. Also joining us today by phone, we have Yvonne Maldonado. She is a Professor of Pediatrics and Health Research and uh, is also the Chief of Infectious Diseases at Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Maldonado, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you very much so the picture that i think that we're kind of getting from the cdc at this point is while it's true that the rate of increase in cases has declined a little bit we are still seeing more measles cases nationally little by little and you know if you had asked me two weeks ago i was on the verge of saying well maybe i don't need to cover measles on in depth uh this time around maybe we can just let this go but uh then you know as uh, we mentioned Berkeley Bowl had saw that incident, and it's it's really come back home for us. Meanwhile, another important reason to take this on is that state lawmakers here in California are considering legislation that would uh, affect some of the requirements for school-aged children getting vaccinated, so some interesting stuff to dig into there as well. But to get us started off, Dr. Han, how about you just give us a, a broad overview of where California is at? in terms of uh, measles exposure uh, at this point. it's We can count the cases in the dozens at this point, correct?
1: Correct. Uh, as of last week, California had reported 45 measles cases in 2019. And so that's uh, definitely uh, more than average. Um, and we know that measles uh, continues to come into the country and to California uh, from abroad. And we know that um, across the, the globe, there are lots of measles outbreaks uh, currently going on. Um, So the risk is actually ongoing that um, a traveler from one of these places will come back and return with measles.
2: And the hotspots at this point, I understand, are are like Ukraine?
1: Uh, Ukraine, Israel, Philippines, um, but there's many, many other countries. Uh, Most of Europe has measles, uh, as well as um, uh, many parts of Asia uh, and Africa.
2: Uh, Dr. Ivan Maldonado, if you could tell us a little bit about how we came from Uh, nearly two decades ago declaring measles, you know, out of the picture here in the United States. How did we get from there to here where it seems like a resurgent threat?
0: So actually, it's very sad. I was on that committee that declared um, the elimination of measles in the U.S. in 2000, and we were quite excited because up until then, uh, we knew that uh, as many as a million children a year were dying from measles, and we've reached a 90% reduction over uh, many decades of vaccination, and to see this happen now is really discouraging. So what we think has happened is just a juxtaposition of a number of things. One is um, uh, just in, in the global context, measles is so infectious that it's a very easy disease to transmit. So, if you don't have high levels of protection in a community or immunity, you're going to see transmission. Um, in many parts of the world, immunization programs are faltering. They're not really able to get that measles dose in for a number of reasons infrastructure, conflict, refugees uh who are, uh, really don't have resources and um, so you we wind up seeing less numbers of vaccinees in Europe for example um, they have had a decades high total of, vac- of measles cases and de- they've actually had a number of deaths as well in um, beca- and, and that area has really been primarily because of vaccine hesitancy so people not vaccinating children uh, either because they can't or because they don't trust the vaccine. And so that's really the reason why we've seen these uh, diseases. You know, we are only one plane ride away from uh, diseases around the world. And that's really what, what this is showing us. On the positive side, um, we think we could, the number of cases we have is a large number for the U.S., but we could easily turn that around if we had sufficient immunity among the population because it's a fabulous vaccine and it works very well and it's extremely safe
2: and uh, Dr. George Hahn just give us the primer what what do people need to know about measles as a as a disease because it's one of those weird diseases that kind of exists in this space where we we I guess put it in the same bucket as maybe chickenpox or something mm-hmm. where oh you know that's something that just everybody goes through it's not that big a deal but it, it can have some serious uh complications
1: Yeah, and I I think actually Dr. Maldonado Maldonado would be a good person to speak to this, but essentially it's not a benign childhood illness, um, and you can get severe complications, uh, hospitalizations, and and even death, and and I think, um, uh, Bonnie, would be great if you could elaborate on some of those things.
0: Yeah, sure. So measles is not a simple disease. As I mentioned, it kills, it used to kill a million children a year. Um, around the world before we had even one or one dose of vaccination in most developing areas. So we know what happens. We know that in the U.S., essentially everybody um, in childhood, and before the vaccine era, would get infected, and so we know what the, what happens to those people. About one in a thousand people will have encephalitis or brain infection, leading to swelling and potentially coma and other neurologic defects. One in a thousand people were hospitalized. One in five hundred people uh, can develop um, um, other complications, um, and there's also a very rare but really fatal, actually fatal disorder called uh, SSPE which is a um, really unusual neurologic manifestations of wild type measles, not vaccine measles, but natural measles that can really um, actually lead to death as well. Um, the deaths were very high, about 5,000 deaths a year among populations where, um, in the U.S. that had developed disease. And um, And actually, as a pediatrician, and George and I are both pediatricians, the impact is much higher among young children under one or two years of age and the older populations whose immune system may not be as robust or immunocompromised patients. So children under one to two years of age can have severe consequences and death. And we had an outbreak in the late 80s in the U.S. And that was related to poor vaccination, especially in inner city urban areas. And the, the mortality rate was, uh, was very high in young children under a year who otherwise can't get the vaccine.
2: All right. Kind of want to go back to how we've been dealing with all this over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, we've already talked about how vaccination rates took a little bit of a hit in the early 2000s, and we've been struggling with that for some time now. 2014 here in California is where this disease really entered into the public consciousness because of an outbreak at Disney. Um, Dr. Han, from the position of somebody that works on public health, what does an outbreak like that look like to you when you know, you, it, you, there's just this huge vector of potential cases coming out from a place that so many people go to.
1: Yeah, I uh, remember being involved in, in that outbreak, and um, it was pretty overwhelming, actually. What ends up happening is um, you have to make sure that all of the public uh, and the doctors know that um, to seek care, uh, but also to ha- report the measles case to the public health department. Um, Because what the public health department will then do is investigate each of those cases, uh, see who they may have come in contact with, contact those people and ensure that they're either immune to measles or um, we might put them under quarantine if they're not uh, immune to measles. Uh, Or we could give them post-exposure prophylaxis, such as vaccination or immune globulin, to help decrease the chances that they will develop measles, even though they've been exposed to the measles virus. So, it's really labor-intensive process. Um, And the problem with an outbreak like Disneyland is, since so many people go there, um, that really increases the pool of people who um, might be at risk. Um, And so then you get a lot of phone calls, and you're saying, "Okay, I have this patient in my office. They have a fever and the rash. Could this be measles?" did they go to Disneyland? Yes. Then you know. Then you're then you're kind of like, okay, uh, we need to look into this. Um, and the problem is, the volume of those calls and the volume of those patients is is much more than um, a public health department is used to receiving. And so we actually have to surge, uh, bring in extra people, work overtime, etc.
2: So you guys almost become detectives. You have to trace the path of all these random people that have been bumping around in that space. That's
1: exactly right. And and the reason for that in, in the case of measles is because it is uh, transmitted through the air. It's an airborne virus. Uh, it's actually one of the most contagious diseases um, known uh, to science. And so... Because of that, um, any person that they've come in contact to uh, come in contact with could be uh, potentially infected with the virus. Um, you could be in an indoor gym, and the gym, you know how big gyms are. Uh, you could be on one end of the gym, and you're breathing, and then a person on the other end of the gym could actually catch the measles virus.
2: I want to remind our listeners that might just be joining us that you're listening to KCBS's In-Depth. And this week, we're taking a closer look at the spread of measles so far this year, which shaping up to be the largest outbreak that the U.S. has seen in decades. Joining us for that, we have Dr. George Hahn, a deputy health officer with the County of Santa Clara's Public Health Department, and Yvonne Maldonado, a professor and the chief of infectious diseases at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Now, one of the things that fell out of the that 2014 Uh, outbreak, was uh, a law that increased the requirements for school-aged children uh, entering school. It got rid of the personal belief exemption, got rid of the notion that just because you believe that your children should not have vaccines that's not a valid reason. Uh, if, if you want to go to public school, you've got to do it. But it did leave in place uh, the ability to get a doctor's ex- exemption. And uh, we should uh, talk a little bit more about some of the wrinkles in that area in just a second. But first, actually, I want to t- turn things over again to uh, Yvonne Maldonado. Uh, if you could tell us, it does seem like we have gotten some gains since the passage of that law in terms of increased vaccination rates.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, even and there was a, a law before that as well um, uh, that Dr. Uh, Richard Pan, who's on um, the state uh, a, a legislator, passed around. Uh, mandating that uh, pediatricians and other providers would um, discuss with families the, co- the risks and benefits, the risks of not vaccinating their children. And that bill passed, and even with that bill, we saw a bump in vaccination coverage rates in California. And so with the current bill um, that was passed, um, eliminating personal belief exemptions, we did see an increase as well in vaccination coverage. I should mention that nationally at least from two thousand and seventeen data which is the most recent data we have at the at the cdc, um, only about one point one percent of infant, of toddlers do not have any vaccines at all. Now you would think that one point one percent is not a big number and and uh, you but you would like to see all children vaccinated. The issue is that um, that number seems to be going up. If you look back all the way to the early 2000s, uh, it really took a dub- that number doubled, almost doubled in the last uh, few years from 2016 to 2017 and I imagine it's going up as well. And with a disease that's disinfectious, if you have enough people in the community who are, Im- are not immune, who are susceptible, even a small percentage like that, a small percentage of a lot of people can still uh, result in significant disease. So um, I think George can probably talk about the new law, because the old one has done quite a bit of nice work. Uh, We've just had some issues around um, some workarounds uh, to that law, which George, I'm sure, can discuss.
2: Yeah, let's talk about that law that we've been alluding to so far. So this is new legislation, also from State Senator Dr. Richard Pan. And the idea here, actually, let's start with the challenge that it's trying to confront. So the challenge is, since that last law was passed and it was no longer an option to uh, use uh, personal belief as a way to get your kid exempted, we've seen a a sudden spike, a mysterious spike in parents that uh, are getting medical exemptions for their kids. And so what this law would do is it would give the state's department of public health, a role in signing off on medical exemptions. The allegation from Dr. Richard Pan, his, his fear is that some of the doctors that are signing off on these medical exemptions are actually doing so fraudulently. And so he believes that the state should have some role in giving some oversight to that exemption process. And, uh, george i I believe that uh, the Santa Clara County Health Department actually has a position on that. What is your position on this legislation
1: yeah uh, the county of Santa Clara supports uh, this legislation to essentially close the medical exemption loophole um you know the 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 bill that passed after the Disney Disneyland, outbreak was quite strong in that it only permits medical exemptions, and it actually applies to public and private schools um, and, and daycares as well. So, uh, so, so it's actually uh, a really good law. Um, and as you mentioned, the problem now is that it looks like uh, medical exemptions are rising rapidly, and there's no. Um, it's not like we have an epidemic of children with immunosuppression or an epidemic of children mm-hmm. with cancer, right? We know that that's not happening. So, why are we having? Such a huge increase in medical exemptions—it's
2: a very suspicious increase,
1: exactly. Um, and in in Santa Clara County, we even have some direct experience with this. Um, last year, uh, there was an outbreak of measles in the Bay Area, centered in Santa Clara County, um, with and it, it was a small outbreak uh, of seven people total uh, because we were able to get a handle on it and, and limit the spread of disease. But um, a couple of the cases who who got infected with measles were um, students who had received medical exemptions and. Um, we couldn't actually find, um, uh, you know, the the the, it, the the exemption was granted. I guess I, I should say on um, not on any uh, widely recognized standard, um, and so uh, and and the exemption was granted by a physician who actually lives um, several hundred miles away or practices several hundred miles away from Santa Clara County. So, so things that didn't quite add up um and so we know based on uh um experiences such as this um other uh experiences that other health departments have had around California that it looks like um, there may be uh, medical exemptions that are being granted by physicians that don't adhere to widely recognized uh, reasons for medical exemptions. And and those reasons include things like, you know, children undergoing chemotherapy, um, you know, they have cancer, uh, they have an immune uh, system, uh, immunosuppression. Those would be the legitimate reasons. Yeah, those are the widely recognized reasons. And so, um, you know, the the law uh, that was passed uh, a couple years ago did not specify uh, that. That. And so I think this time around, uh, we're trying to, uh, the goal is to to have the state um, set standards set, um, um, and those things so that we can actually get a uniform um, standard.
2: Now, we should note that the opposition to this bill has been quite vociferous, and many people have gone out to the state capitol to make their views heard. And one of the points that they're making is that, in, in their opinion, they don't want any kind of extra barrier between physicians and the patients who are are, are getting care provided to them. They don't feel like there is, uh, you know, they feel like this decision really should be made between a doctor and their patient. Uh, Dr. Maldonado, I mean, what's your view on that? As somebody who practices medicine yourself, does the state have a role uh, getting involved in that decision between a a doctor and their patient?
0: Well, I'll have to tell you that I think that is a very disingenuous argument. I have seen these groups um, over the years, I know George has as well. They, there were groups protesting the, the other two bills as well. And um, it, there is a very active community that is using um, fake science, I, and I'll just say it that way. They uh, quote data that is not true, that is not documented, and they ignore data that we have talked about that we know is real and that has been vetted. And I think um, the idea that they feel that a doctor-patient um, relationship will be um harmed is is ridiculous and i have to say that the american academy of pediatrics and i'm a member and i'm also the chair of their committee on infectious diseases we actually stand behind 100% every state should having a, a personal belief exemption removed and right now only 3 states have that mississippi west virginia and california we would love to see all states have that and our pediatricians also feel that way Um, And so I think uh, this is really just another reason to throw uh, uh, smoke and mirrors up around people's ability to get out of uh, vaccines, which they um, don't believe they either need or they believe are unsafe for reasons that are absolutely not true.
2: I did read concerns uh, from some parents that they were worried that the current exemptions that they had would no longer be covered. They, I, I read from one mother that was worried that her son had had an adverse reaction to the shot and she was worried that with the new law in place she would have whatever medical exemption that she currently had would no no longer be covered. Is there a risk or, 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 or is it important to be mindful to how exactly the exemptions are carved out under this legislation, uh, Yvonne Maldonado?
0: Yeah, I, I actually think that would be, I'm sure that would be vetted through the standard channel. So for example, we have the National Vaccine Injury Program that has been in place since Ronald Reagan got past, got made had that program funded in 1988. That program has been monitoring vaccine adverse events for um, over 30 years now. And we know exactly what children We'll have, Uh, we know how to compensate them for those things. Most of these are the the vast majority, I would say 90% or more are simple um, fevers, um, soreness, tenderness, maybe some, uh, there have been other minor uh, issues that all resolve. And I think that we would use similar tables, but there would probably be, we would hope that there would be some opportunity for some interpretation of whatever the family might think was an adverse event. And, um, yeah, I, I'm not saying that there wouldn't be outliers. So, for example, there may be, we find that there are new um, diseases that we identify that um, that uh, people need to ident- to investigate. And those investigations over the last several years have not shown any new um, and any new adverse events uh, associated with vaccines. But, of course, we need to continue that because we always need to keep the science ahead. The science needs to be the basis for the policy that is made. And so, yes, the vast majority will be things that we know happen with vaccines. And, for, for example, children who are immunocompromised, if they're on chemotherapy or if they're taking uh, imp- uh steroids for, uh, high doses of steroids for other conditions. Um, uh, they should probably, they should not get vaccines by and large. And we know what those categories are. And if there is any question, um, there will be experts available to uh, adjudicate those cases. So it's not going to, in fact, if anything, you're going to get more scrutiny for understanding what might be going on with your child.
2: All right. Let's, uh, before we round out the program, let's just take a, a little bit more stock of where we stand in terms of the overall risk from measles. I I think many of our listeners might listen to the national headline and think 800 cases, come on. More people die on the roads every couple of weeks than that. 800 cases, what's there really to be worried about? But the flip side of that is... As you guys have said, measles is something that spreads very rapidly, and uh, Dr. Han, I, 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 is, is there sort of a breakout velocity that measles could get to where this becomes a much less manageable problem?
1: Yes, I think that um, I can speak based on the experience we've had here in the Bay Area, which is we've had multiple introductions of measles. Uh, they've been independent introductions, and um, they've not really led to any uh, prolonged outbreaks, and I think that speaks to both um, the, the high vaccination rates we have in general in the Bay Area, as well as the uh, immense amounts of efforts that all of the the public health departments around the Bay and the state have been putting towards um, limiting the spread of measles, um, you know, there, it, what we would what we want to avoid is a situation where the the, the rates of vaccination decrease so much that we're unable to do, unable to do that anymore. That um, that outbreaks uh, will actually pop up, and that it'll be difficult to control because um, there's um, not enough people who are vaccinated. Um, where that where that limit is, you know, it's, it's around ninety five percent. You know, in terms of the herd immunity. Uh, what concerns us is that the people who aren't vaccinated are not distributed evenly throughout the community. They actually group together in pockets. Uh, for whatever reason, it tends to be that, um, you know, you'll have certain schools that will have high uh, high percentage of kids who aren't vaccinated um, in certain neighborhoods, and, and um, uh, the kids all kind of do similar activities. And so because of that, because of that unevenness of distribution of unvaccinated people, um, that poses a risk uh, of actually creating an outbreak in that population.
2: And Dr. Maldonado, could you also give us some perspective on what would it look like if measles really got out of hand in the U.S.? Are are we in any danger of that?
0: I think we have to be cautiously optimistic. I do think that the vast majority of families really do question vaccines because we have been victims of our own success. So the vaccinations uh, that we have been given now for decades have really reduced the burden of illness and death in children i tell my colleagues who are you know who were around when i was we used to see children die every year from measles we saw children die every week from other vaccine preventable diseases we don't see that anymore and so when you see these young families and even these young doctors who don't haven't seen these diseases it's really hard for them to understand why should we do this Uh, The child is going to have a little bit of a fever, maybe, or some soreness. They might be uncomfortable, but we don't see this disease. And so I think what we really need to do is get that message out to people that these diseases are still around. They are definitely there. The reason we're not seeing them is exactly because of the intervention, which is the vaccination. And if you took that away, um, it would really, they would resurge uh, very quickly. And so I think it's, I understand why families feel this way because they don't. it's hard to prove a negative. It's hard to prove that something's not there anymore because you vaccinated. And they need to understand that um, if they have a good relationship, and most families, I would say the vast majority of families, have a great relationship with their pediatrician, um, and those conversations usually go very well. The families need to ask questions. They do ask questions. And um, the vast majority do agree with what the pediatrician recommends. Um, it's just that very small group um, who doesn't really want to listen for whatever reason. And then there's also social media, which really gets the, amplifies these messages. So I think people really need to stick to working with their doctors um, and asking all the questions that they want to ask, because that's really the person that um, is, has really the best interest at heart for these children.
2: All right. Uh, all excellent food for thought. Last point I want to hit with you guys before I let you go, and thank you for sticking around for this whole thing is we gotta give the folks some news that they can use, which is if you are worried about your own vaccination status, I think it's important to remind people that it's a safe vaccine, that uh, you can just get re-upped, is that right?
1: Yeah, there's um, the recommendation is that uh, currently children get the vaccine when they're um, about 12 months old uh, and then again around four years old uh, before they enter um, kindergarten. Uh, And, you know, as adults, there actually isn't a current recommendation to get any additional shots. Um, But what is recommended for sure is that if you're planning to travel uh, outside of um, the country, uh, that you make sure that you've been vaccinated. And so um, if you're not sure uh, if you've gotten uh, more than one measles vaccine uh, as a child and you're, you're an adult traveling abroad, Uh, I think, you know, go ahead and get get another shot at this point before you travel. Uh, If you're a baby, um, uh, you can actually get the shot early. So you can get the shot at uh, six months of age. um, And then, uh, you know, it won't count towards your regular uh, uh, routine immunization schedule. So you'll have to get it again when you turn one-year-old. But, um, you you know, if you're between six and 12 months, go ahead and get the shot early before you travel. And then if you're um, at least one-year-old, you want to make sure you have a second shot aboard uh, if you're a child. Um, and that, is, uh, that can take place um, four weeks after uh, the first shot. Um, and so those are kind of recommendations that, that have always been around, um, but that we want to get the word out more that now that there's a lot, uh, a lot of measles yeah. going around in the world and, and we're trying to uh, prevent um, people from uh, coming down with measles and, and coming back with it to the U.S.
2: All right. Check with your provider, I think, is always advice that we can all live by. We're going to have to round out the program there, though. We have been speaking today to Dr. George Hahn. He is the Deputy Health Officer with the County of Santa Clara's Public Health Department. Dr. Hahn, thank you so much. My pleasure. And we were also speaking to Dr. Yvonne Maldonado. She's a professor and the Chief of Infectious Diseases at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Maldonado, good to have you on, too.
0: Thank you very much.
2: You've been listening to In-Depth, KCBS's weekly deep dive into the major trends shaping the news we report on every day. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi, and I'll see you next time. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for All News 740 and FM 1069 KCBS.